Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 29, Giving in Games. Recorded Tuesday, November 5th of 2013, with your hosts, Grant, Peter, and Steve. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Steven from Pulse Cards from the Dungeon. Hey, Steve, how are you? Excellent. Nice to join you, too. Hey, good to have you. Yeah, we're really happy to have you. So this is Steve from, as you said, Postcards from the Dungeon, which is a delightful podcast. Uh, Steve, tell us about Postcards. It's um, maybe three, three and a half years old now. Our original idea was to explore uh, creativity in the tabletop RPG hobby. And what we mean by creativity is like story elements, tropes, plots, characterizations, kind of system agnostic, but to explore the creative storytelling aspects of the gaming hobby. Cool. And you guys were actually really nice and had me on as a guest just recently to talk about saving the game and a few other little things. Yes. So that was really nice of you. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I wish my two co-hosts could join me. We've had a couple uh, co-host changes through the years. Um, but currently, I have uh, Jeb, who's a professionally trained stage magician, and Mikey, who's a professional comedian. So... Both of my co-hosts are excellent performers and in their act tell stories as a function of their performance. And so it's, you know, really great to be with these guys and, and kind of explore this terrain. Um, unfortunately, both of their schedules don't allow them to join us tonight, but it's really nice to have them on the cast. Yeah, that's awesome. They're both great people as well. Yeah. And as a, a listener to your podcast, Steve, I, I will say that both of them add quite a bit. <laughs> no, I They're totally sharp agree. guys. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, we've got a couple of bits of news, and this may take a little bit, so I apologize, but we've got a lot to talk about as far as our fundraiser. Uh, we announced last time we were fundraising for the Bodana Group, and it was part of the 2013 RPG Podcasters Charity Drive. At that time, we had just us, I think, signed up <laughs> when we recorded, but we're now up to five podcasts, uh, which is awesome. There's us. Uh, we're, as we said, raising funds for the Bodana Group. Steve, tell us who you're raising money for. We've chosen the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute as our target. Cool. And Happy Jacks is going to be fundraising. Probably about the time this episode drops, they're actually going to start. They just finished up a really sizable fundraiser uh, for the same charity. They're raising funds for the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation International. Uh, raised like $3,000 doing it, which was awesome. Sharkbone, which is raising money for ALS of Nevada. And Metagamers Anonymous is raising money for the Fundamental Learning Center. Uh, all of which are awesome. If you go to uh, razoo.com slash team slash RPG 2013, that'll be linked in the show notes. Uh, you can look at all of the fundraiser pages, uh, learn about why each of these charities are awesome, and decide one to pick. Uh, we'd love it if you donated to Steve's. We'd love it if you donated to ours, because they're both really good foundations. But these other guys are also raising money for good causes, and if those mean more to you, donate. As, as long as you're doing good, we're happy. Right. I mean... Obviously, we'd love to win this, but honestly, these are all such worthy causes that it probably makes the most sense to pick out the cause that you most feel like supporting and go <laughs> that way. Yeah, exactly. Usually, people find a cause that uh, touches them personally. Perhaps it's something they've dealt with or a family member, a loved one, multi-generational, something in their family or friends, and, and they have a deep connection to that cause, and they feel motivated to help that uh, and support it. Now, here's the cool thing about this uh, fundraising drive, though. 
there's a leaderboard at the site that I just gave you. And when we started this off, it was just for bragging rights. It's kind of evolved past that now, and this is awesome. Uh, Drive-Thru RPG and its other associated Drive-Thru X sites has offered a store credit to the podcast that raises the most money this year for its nonprofit. They're also offering a guest appearance on the podcast from Matt McElroy, who's the director of publishing and marketing at Drive-Thru RPG, Drive-Thru Fiction, etc. Uh, he's would be a fantastic guest, so if you want him to appear on that podcast and you don't have a preference of which charity you do, uh, donate to, donate to the char- to the podcast's charity that you think would make for a really awesome visit from him, because that would be really cool. That would be. Yeah. That sounds like it would be a great guest. Yeah, and by the same token, Ben Overmeyer from Silver Griffin Games, uh, he's the art director and co-founder of Silver Griffin, uh, he's offered to appear on the quote-unquote, winning podcast as well. Uh, so that's two really interesting people who have agreed to show up as guests on that winning podcast. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, the other cool thing is that DriveThruRPG has given us some coupon codes that are good through this charity drive for listeners of these charities. And I can give you those here real quick. There's a 20% off coupon code for White Wolf eBooks at DriveThruFiction.com. And that's WW2013LA, WW2013LA. That's White Wolf eBooks, DriveThruFiction.com. I'll link that. 20% off of FR Press eBooks at DriveThruRPG.com. And that is 20FR2013. And then 20% off Archaea Entertainment Digital Comics and RPGs at DriveThruComics.com. And that's 20, that's 20AE2013. So I'll link each of those manufacturers' uh, lists at the appropriate portal in the show notes, and but you'll need to listen to the podcast to get the actual coupon codes. Now, in addition to all that, Margaret Weiss Productions has offered PDF copies of two of their relatively new products, Firefly RPG Echoes of War and Cortex Plus Hacker's Guide. They've also offered a guest appearance by Monica Valentinelli, and I hope I got Monica's name right. I apologize, Monica. She's the brand manager and lead writer for Margaret Weiss Productions' Firefly RPG. So she would also be an awesome guest for the podcast that raises the most money for their charity. And last, but perhaps not least, Atlas Games has offered a full set of decks and expansions for their Gloom game, which is a personal favorite of mine, including a copy of the limited edition ultra-rare tabletop Gloom promo pack which has cards for Will Wheaton and Felicia Day. It's a really cool little promo pack. The 10-card promo pack goes on eBay as much as the Gloom Core set, I think, or more. So it's a really cool prize, uh, a great giveaway for the podcast that gets it, or if it's a big crew, maybe they just want to you know, hang on to it and enjoy playing it, because Gloom's an awesome game, and I wouldn't blame them for it. But those are all of our prizes that we've got. So big thanks to DriveThruRPG, Silver Griffin Games, Evil Hat Productions, Margaret Weiss Productions, and Atlas Games. The drive-through company has an excellent track record of doing charitable work. Yes. I mean, remember Hurricane Katrina? Yeah, the, the bundles that they've put together are really awesome. I've bought one before, and there's a lot of value in it for people who purchase it, but also a lot of value in what actually comes out of it, which is great. Yeah. A couple other little bonuses. Uh, Silver Griffin Games has put up a second coupon code as a prize to the listeners 
of the quote unquote winning podcast. So the winning podcast will get some store credit there. And Evil Hat Productions of Fate Fame has offered a prize pack of PDFs for the podcast, which raises the most funds again. So that's a fair bit of money, or at least PDF value for the podcast that ends up raising the most money. And that's really awesome. So I want to thank all of those companies and the people who manage that part of it, who have been working with me. You guys are all awesome and you're fantastic. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And it just kind of uh, emphasizes how fantastic this community is, specifically in areas like this, generosity and caring, you know, above and beyond just the tabletop. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to plug real quick uh, is the actual play festival. Josh Jordan, who's a friend of the show and is the mind behind Ginger Goat Games, also the author of Heroin and, interestingly enough, a gaming and game-authoring pastor, sent me an email telling me that he's putting together a festival of actual plays. All anybody has to do to participate is record audio or audio and video of themselves playing a new RPG or a non-North American RPG that North American gamers may not be familiar with. And when you do that, uh, send a link to the audio, because uh, you probably won't be able to email the audio uh, itself, to gingergoatpress at gmail.com. Uh, and he'll, he'll repost video onto the Ginger Goat uh, YouTube channel. He'll find a way to do the audio, etc. And he's going to give out rewards for the best actual play of a game released in 2013 and the best actual play of a non-North American game. Uh, so this is going to be a lot of fun. There's uh, a number of PDFs that are being donated to the winners. Uh, that's a copy of Heroin, a copy of Doll, which I think is Josh's new RPG. I know it just got kickstarted. Uh, Brian Ingard's donating copies of Rough Cuts and the new game Becoming. Robert Nolan of Creepy Doll Studios is donating Dude Run. And Jason Piter, I think that's how you pronounce the name, is donating a copy of Spark. So, yeah, send that to him. If you want to find out more about it, go to ginger-goat.blogspot.com, which I'll link to in the show notes. And anybody who wants to volunteer, anybody who wants to post an actual play, should get in touch with them, because this sounds really awesome. And like I said, Josh is a listener of the show, friend of the show, and a really cool gaming pastor. Yeah. Peter, you got anything? No, I think you've pretty well covered it. Okay, good. Well then, let's get our our scripture read, shall we? Uh, I'll take the first one here. This is Psalm 41, verses 1 and 2. Happy are those who consider the poor. The Lord delivers them in the day of trouble. The Lord protects them and keeps them alive. They are called happy in the land. You do not give them up to the will of their enemies. Steve, do you want to take one? Or? Sure. Matthew 6, 2-4 So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And the last one we have here is Hebrews thirteen fifteen and 16. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So the topic I wanted to talk about tonight to a certain degree, reprises a topic that we've talked about before, uh, the first Virtues episode of our Virtues and Vices series, and that's charity. But where we spend a lot of time talking about charity outside of the very common form of charity, giving 
uh, money and time to those less fortunate. I wanted to talk about that specifically in an RPG context for this episode, in part because of the, the fundraiser that we're doing. Because it has occurred to me before that charities get a really bad rap in games. I mean, it's terrible. Hmm. Um, at this point, I am much more surprised if a charity is a legitimate charity and actually does good works than I am if it's a front for a secret evil organization. Oh, <laughs> that's right. You know? Yeah. I mean, how many times has that come up? Peter and I are in a, a Shadowrun game that I'm starting up here, and, you know, the Universal Brotherhood that does all the good for all those people? Oh, look, it's Bug Spirits! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's spoilers for, like, Shadowrun 2nd Edition. Sorry, but still, Bug Spirits! Or Shadowrun Returns, the video game. but Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, B- it's... Bug Spirits and Cthulhu, essentially. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's always a cult. There's always... Some, it's always a front for something, like an organized crime operation. Organized or, crime, some political movement, spies, I, you name it. It's always a front for something. And we almost never get a charity that actually tries to do good for somebody in a game. Whether that's a video game or a role-playing game. I think because it's an easy target, and because at this point it's a trope. Yes. It's, you know? Yeah. Hackney trope. Also, I think people don't necessarily trust the motive. So if, uh, like in Shadowrun, if your motive is, I'm going to kill a bunch of people to get paid, everyone understands your motive and, and has no trouble believing you. Um, but if you happen to say, well, I'm going to do all this hard work for very little pay because I'm trying to support this cause, all of a sudden you're much more suspect. Well, there's got to be some angle. you got to have something, there's some hook in that bait that I just don't see yet. Well, in the Shadowrun setting, that's a that's a sane, rational, and likely to keep you alive view to have of the world. Unfortunately, it's also yeah grim and cynical and <laughs> oh, sure, absolutely. But there are other settings in Shadowrun, and even Shadowrun has you know if you look through all the setting source books and that sort of thing, you'll see peppered in there a few charities that stand out because they are exactly what they claim to be. Nobody's selling organs out the back door. <laughs> right. You know? Um, well, I would imagine even in a world like Shadowrun, the Salvation Army and the Red Cross would probably still exist. They probably wouldn't be as major of forces as they are now because, you know, people are grim and cynical, but yeah. I can't imagine everybody would be. No, they're not. But they stand out because they're not. Any fantasy game I have played that has had a charity in it, that charity has shown up and then turned out to be something awful. See, in my experience, they've shown up, and then nothing has happened with them. It's usually just like, this town has an orphanage. They take in orphans. Orphans go there. Yeah. They oh. do orphany things. Oh, man. You can give them money if you want. Okay, on to the next adventure. You know, I don't know that I've ever seen an orphanage in a game that hasn't been the source of some evil horror yeah. thing. Oh, I've seen them run, like, by the Church of Illmater in a Forgotten Realms game before, okay, well, and it was fine, but it yeah. was... In fairness, I don't know that I've seen an orphanage survive contact with the party, so... <laughs> I mean, that's also true. Well, I was, I've seen them a haunted orphanage. I've seen where the, um, uh, there was some creepy abuse when they were selling kids as slave labor or something. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, again, a lot of the false front, so... Yeah. I'm kind of tired of it. <laughs> you know, ultimately, that's what I'm saying. I'm tired of that trope. And I'd really like if people would 
take a little time and come up with good charities in their games. Partly because I think it adds some verisimilitude to the world. Well, sure, the real world has them. Yeah, absolutely. And partly because charities, whether they're organized or not, give players a lot of things to hook themselves onto, and they give the GM a lot of sources for plot and action and character development opportunities that aren't necessarily, oh, look, they turned out to be evil, but hey, they need help. Hey, somebody's gone missing. Hey, they're being sued. What can you do about it? All sorts of cool things. They're wildly successful in, you know, reaching the people they're trying to reach, but they're strapped for funds and, you know, they're having to make tough choices about who they can help. How can we get them more funding? Right. Ironically, it also sets up that trope again. In a world in which every charity is a front for an evil cult, then the characters just expect every charity is a front for an evil cult. In order for that trope to actually be a surprise, they would have to have dealt with charities that are completely sincere, honest, upfront. And then the one that turns out to be bad, the one out of a thousand, is a surprise. Um, Right. But you it can't be a surprise if it's every one of them. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It restores the, the validity of that trope where, oh, this is surprising. Well, it has to be surprising. Yeah. That's yeah. right. So I, I want to talk about that. And the other thing I want to talk about is players interacting with people who are asking for help. And we may or may not get to that. We'll, we'll see. The thing about charities is, assuming we're talking about an organized charity, that level of organization is going to depend on a lot of factors. And you got to think about those if you're going to create one. The genre, I think, actually has the most to do with this because if you're playing a Shadowrun game or something set in a very interconnected future, it's very easy to have a very well-organized charity, regardless of its size. You know, they can have a big presence despite not having a lot of people involved. Well, sure. I mean, as soon as you have computers and the internet, all of a sudden your ability to reach an audience worldwide just explodes. Well, even a printing press, you know, newspapers add a lot to it. There's a lot of instances of, especially in the the 1900s, or excuse me, early 1900s and late 1800s, pictures of people in need, you know, in newspapers, especially because they're photographs, and photographs are a new thing, and it's, oh, here's real images of people suffering in Africa, Asia, uh, South America, etc., got a lot of attention, to the point where abusive colonial regimes were overthrown, like uh, all of Belgium's holdings in Africa. Belgium had to give them up because of public pressure due to how the Belgians were treating African natives. So it can be very effective as long as there's some communication technology, whether that's, you know, science or magic, depends on your game, I don't care, whatever. But in a high fantasy game where you've got these little isolated pockets of civilization and dangerous wilderness all around it, you may not have particularly organized charities. You know what would be kind of interesting for a a high fantasy game that was a little bit lighter in tone and somewhat self-aware? Mm-hmm. A charity whose job it was to follow in the wake of whoever was saving the world this month. <laughs> and repairing all the damage they did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and all the stuff they were fighting, you know, and clean the dragon viscera off of the buildings and, you know, rebuild the, the dam that had been smashed by the goblins. You and- know, forget that. You know, what would actually make it pretty effective is a charity that does similar things in a superhero game. Somebody yes. 
cleaning Ooh, up after yeah. superhero battles. Like the, the Man of Steel movie that came out fairly recently. Somebody calculated that Superman did something like $10 billion in damage to Metropolis in his fight. Killed like 300,000 people. Something like that, just watching the movie, like they, they ran the numbers, and it was some obscene amount of property damage and lives lost. Or the recent Avengers movie. Yeah. You know, when Superman fights somebody, there's going to be collateral damage. Even if it's a relatively well-written and interesting Superman who actually cares about people, there's still going to be collateral damage, no matter what he does. There's got to be charities at this point in the DC and Marvel universes that take care of those people, Right. There was a for-profit one in the Marvel Universe called, um, I want to say Damage Incorporated, hmm. which I believe had a, a job like that. Um, there is a TV show called um, Arrow. It's based on DC's Green Arrow, and I yeah. think it's on the CW. Yeah. And that one is tied to a charity. So there's a, a charitable law firm that helps the poorest people in the city. And, you know, there's a backstory how they're connected, but Arrow gets a lot of his, um, insights on, who to target next based on who this charitable law firm is having an issue with, either suing or being sued or being pursued or whatever. Um, and so, like, his hook into the people of the city who needs his help the most is through this charitable organization that's doing a very upfront, you know, in the newspapers type of job while he's gotcha. operating in the shadows. Right. And um, I need to watch that show. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch Arrow as well. Daredevil in the Marvel Universe, you know, he's a lawyer who does a lot of pro bono work in a very poor yeah. area of New York. I think it's it's somewhat similar. That is. And it makes sense. If you're a superhero, you need to know who actually needs help. And it's not going to always be obvious, like the bank currently being robbed. It could be something much subtler than that, like a slumlord putting a bunch of people out on the streets. And so there's, yeah, there's exactly. no alarms. There's no police swarming. It's not a bank robbery, but there's a bunch of people who need your help. Yeah, a lot of the worst forms of evil are that kind of insidious, under-the-radar stuff that has an awful impact on human lives, but doesn't get any headlines. Yeah, right. it's it's greed and inhuman... Callousness? Callousness, I'm, I'm going to say, you know, the power of very large entities just overrunning smaller entities and writing it off, writing off any damages is just, you know... Cost of doing business Cost kind of, of doing stuff. business, exactly. That sort of gets back to Shadowrun, but it's not limited to dystopian cyberpunk settings by any stretch of the imagination. No, that happens a lot in reality, in fact. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. And that kind of gets to the question of backing. Who's backing a charity? And also why? It can very much be, you know, a, a good sort of thing. You know, hey, you know, we, we take donations from people around. Well, and if you want to add some complexity into your game, have the organization that's causing all the problems be one of the biggest donators to the charity that is trying to solve them. Yes. Yeah, there, there's that. It gets us back to that, you know, hmm, are they really good kind of thing. But maybe it's also, you know, we have a cost of doing business. We donate to the charity to clean it up. Right. And th there's also a measure of, uh, like, large corporations that do it for publicity or tax write-offs. Um, mm hmm and I've always, if I could be a little personal, it always rankles me when people negate that. Like, even if the motive in giving wasn't so great, it still helped people. It's like, oh, they don't get any credit for that. They just get a tax write-off. Like, yes, but they yeah, just fed 3,000 people. I'm glad to hear people. you say that, too, because it's not like the fact that they're using it as a tax write-off takes the money out of the charity's coffers and that many 
people, they're like, oh, this money came from a charity that just wants a tax write-off, so you don't get your bowl of nourishing soup tonight. Exactly. You, you know, still it just get falls the soup. down a hole. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Right. Even if the motives are impure, the the good that's done is still very real. In fact, ironically, the whole tax write-off thing isn't the corporate, it's the government. That's their way of encouraging people to be generous. By creating yeah. this, you can um, hide a certain portion of your income by being generous with it and giving it away. So mm-hmm. I, I don't see that as a negative, even if the motive is less than pure. Well, and in that case, a lot of the time it, it works out well for the government too, because if these people are getting help from private charities, that's less people winding up on things like food stamps or welfare. Right. right. You know, or at least it reduces the strain. It may not be less people, but yeah, it's, it's a less it's, per person cost maybe. Yeah. The, the government's programs that are trying to help these people don't have to work quite as hard because they're also able to go to a private charity and right yeah exactly and like i was saying especially in cases where a government is very much based around a person rather than a bureaucracy bureaucracy yeah i'm thinking of you know royal governments kingdoms that sort of thing you very often get royal funds for charities where you know a king says i like what you're doing here's a certain amount of money or i'm going to we're going to pay out a certain amount of money every year for this particular fund. I think I've seen a lot of that with hospitals and, and medical associations, where it'll be the, the royal hospital of such and mm-hmm. such, and he's funding the hospital as a form of charity. Yeah. One of the biggest ones, of course, is legacies left in someone's memory, and that can be an interesting way to fund it. Oh, yeah. My great-grandfather founded this, and he left all, all of our fortune as an operating fund for this. There's a really cool one that lasted up until... No, I'm, I'm trying to remember my history here. Edward III knighted someone on the battlefield, and more than just knighting them, declared that every night a meal would be set out for him, I think at the Tower of London or some other place like that, um, some royal facility, for lack of a better word, and if he showed up, it was his meal. If not, the meal was given to basically the first poor person who came to the door for a meal. And that lasted several hundred years, well after this guy's death. You know, and it's some little funny one-off charities that can add a lot of flavor to a game because real life is stranger than we can think of in fiction most of the time. Right. Those weird one-off charities can add a lot of flavor and interest and make you go, okay, what's the story behind this, and how is that affecting my game now? Well, and in something like that, too, it's like, I'm unfamiliar with the story you just told, mm-hmm. aside from you just telling it, but let's let's say the guy's name was, you know, Robert or something. You right. Know? So you could get to the point where, you know, first, you know, it was, well, you know, I, I live in a faraway part of the kingdom. I'm not going to be there very often, but, you know, can I tell... You know, poor people to say that, you know, I am Sir Robert today. And then eventually a couple, you know, decades pass and it's known as Sir Robert's Feast or something like that. Yeah. You know, the the feeding of the poor people. and Yeah. And then maybe it becomes ritualized. Somebody comes out, hey, you know, I'm Sir Robert. I'm here for my meal. And the table of food is set out and, you know, you feed everybody who comes or something like that. It, it can evolve yeah. over time and it's interesting. I'd also want to put out that sometimes the story behind a charity can also be morally ambivalent. For example, there's a Howard Hughes Medical Institute, which started as a tax dodge by Howard Hughes. And mm-hmm. when the government followed up and found out that there was no research, no money had actually been handed over, um, he was forced to fund it as, as, you know, in order to avoid charges. So now you have this incredibly powerful, well-funded private institute doing cutting-edge research for decades. 
but started as a tax dodge by one extremely wealthy, you know, half crazy man. Yeah. Um, so, so that's one of those interests. Like it does a lot of good, but its origin is, you know, morally murky. Yeah. But there's also been cases of modern charities in which the purpose of the charity was to allow, um, the organizer to get close to a celebrity. So I want to meet famous people. I'll set up this charity. I'll approach their agents. Um, so again, are they doing good work? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not as much as you'd hope. Um, but they're not evil. It's not a, it's not a cult. Um, but it's a morally big, you know, ambivalent. Yeah. Especially in medieval times, it was common for people to set up a, essentially a legacy, you know, a certain amount of money so that you could always have a priest praying for you at a certain yeah. time in a particular chapel. Some, you know, particularly wealthy families would build chapels or churches and things like that, set the money aside, you know, for the salvation of their own souls, sort of, sort of as a way to buy off their sins. Yeah. And I was also thinking that modern and near future settings in which again, you have the internet. Um, the problem isn't global reach. It's problem is, uh, called mind space. Um, you have to get people's attention in an mm-hmm. oversaturated media market in which everything is screaming for their, their attention. Yeah. And so you end up with cases in which, um, in, in order to get attention, the charity approaches the celebrity and then they have to pay for all the celebrities entourage and expenses. So there's been a couple well-documented cases where the, the amount of money raised by a celebrity on behalf of a charity was less than the charity ended up paying for the celebrity's year long campaign. Right. And it, it wasn't again because of wickedness. It was, you know, lack of organization and research, some misunderstandings, et cetera, and, and trying to compete in this space. And then the end result is, you know, whoops, it actually cost us, you know, 110,000 and she only brought in a hundred thousand. We're actually poorer than when we started. Uh, but these types of interesting stories create a nuance. Um, so not charities aren't just simple binary good or bad, yes or no, evil front or, um, you know, milk toast, you know, orphanage. There's a lot of interesting stories in between those extremes. Yeah. And I'm not sure who jotted this down in our outline here, whether it was, uh, you, Peter, or you, Steve, but backing, if it comes from player characters, automatically opens up a whole lot of interesting story possibilities. You know, if it's a midi- uh, high fantasy game where you're coming back with chests full of gold coins from your last dungeon crawl, well, what happens if they suddenly become backers of this charity? Is it, you know, the whole lottery winner problem where all of a sudden everybody's knocking down your door? Or do people say, well, this person's now a fine, upstanding citizen. Look at the good they're doing. You know, they get respect instead of beggars for days. Right. What's the end result? Well, and it's worth mentioning that those two are not mutually exclusive. No, certainly not, but you'll, I'm just saying. You'll get a lot of opportunists that are going to try and figure out ways to separate them from some of their money since they seem to have so much of it. And there's going to be a lot of people who are not opportunistic, but will look at it and say, hey, the, you know, that's that's a good thing they're doing. And then there will be a few cynics out there that will be like, I wonder what their angle is. What are they trying to accomplish? Yes. And of course, once you have the players involved with a charity directly, now all of a sudden... All these things that we talked about before, hey, you know, here's a, a funding problem we're running into. Hey, we want to build something new, but, you know, the person who owns the land we want to build it on, he's being really stubborn all of a sudden. What's up with that? You know, the, the treasurer all of a sudden has gone missing. And can you guys well, track them down? You know, we can't get in touch with them. What do all recipients of charity have in common? Need? Yeah, they all have problems. What do PCs do? PC solve Go problems. out and try and solve problems. I was going to say kill people and burn things. Well, <laughs> but, but that's also a type of problem well, they solving. Do that while attempting to solve problems yes. most of the time. Yes. Now, sometimes that problem is I do not have enough beer and winches. 
<laughs> yeah, know, it depends on <laughs> the game. Not nearly enough things are dead and on fire, but... <laughs> yeah. I'd like to point out, I, I played a game in which this was handled very poorly. There was a cleric, and part of the, the clerical religion in this setting is he had to give you know, tithe, 10%. Um, and the GM did nothing with that. So the player was playing the cleric, and 10% of his wealth was assumed to be going towards his uh, order. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the player just marked it off a sheet, and it was never really brought up. And I'm thinking, but that's such a, like you've mentioned, it's such a wasted opportunity. Yeah. Um, for oh, all of this, like, what are they doing with it? Are they calling them back? Are they asking for additional help? And sometimes, again, in a fantasy setting, the players are dealing with artifacts, um, historical and or magical. Sometimes, um, the artifact on display drawing large crowds is worth more than whatever the character would have donated. And so maybe they'd ask the, the player, you know, I know you usually give us 10% of your take, but would it be possible to get one of the, you know, the three crowns of the ancestors? Because if we put that on display and show it, we know we'll have pilgrims from 100 miles and we'll get many more donations than you've ever given us in a month. And that's really cool. And then all of a sudden it's, okay, now this item that we know is powerful and magical and important is here. Right. And we know where it is. But now there's a liability thing. What happens if it gets stolen? Or how about this one? What if the player's uh, reputation is damaged and the charity's like, you know what? I don't know if we want to be associated with you anymore. Yeah. So now you have this sudden frisson. Um, does the player say, okay, I don't care anymore. I'm not going to give you money. Or does he work really hard to get his reputation back so that he can reestablish what was supposed to be a meaningful relationship between his character and that charity? Yeah, Brandon's got a story of um, players who... You know, when they weren't allowed into a town, basically sacked and burned the town. Your players do something like that in a game. One of the things we talked about is, you know, negative social impacts within the game. People don't want to associate with you anymore. That's a great opportunity for that. All of a sudden it's, no, you know what? This trophy, essentially, that we were displaying for you and was drawing money, yeah, we took that down. Um, people didn't really think it deserved a place in the temple anymore. Sorry. Go fix that. Right. Or, or conversely, yeah. what if your reputation is so good that the charity takes liberties with it? And all of a sudden, they're opening up um, every, you know, alehouse and dog poop collection service in your name. Mm-hmm. And, and the character might say, well, well, well wait a minute here. I, I didn't give you permission to to use my name and my likeness in these ways. Um, and so again, Shepherd, and this is my favorite shop on the Citadel. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly it. You know, crazy yeah, Larry, exactly Larry's right. pottery shards and beetle dung. Yeah, I think <laughs> we more often get individual requests for charity, people in need instead of organizations in need in games, because it's something that you can relate to on a character level, and it's usually a good hook into some plot or something. You know, or at least, oh, here's an NPC. Well, let's do something with him or her. But if it's an organization, I think because there's so much going on there, I think there's a lot of really fun things you can do with it. I admit, I actually think I screwed this up at one point uh, when I was running a game. It was an Eberron game. And I had this really cool idea, which I cannot claim was original. I think I got it off a blog somewhere. I can't remember which one for the life of me, but I don't want to take complete credit for the idea. But the players were in Sharn, which is this enormous city in Eberron. It's a setting it unto itself, as most huge metroplexes are. And I had someone come up to the party and ask for money. It basically was an adventuring party who had lost. They'd had a party member killed, and they needed to raise funds quickly to resurrect that character. 
or he was gone. That's a cool motive. I like that. It's a cool motive, especially in Eberron, because there's a time limit, you know, in D&D on how long uh, a character can be resurrected. What was interesting was the player's reaction, which was basically, no, we're not going to help people too weak to help themselves. These guys are adventurers. They should get out there and try and earn that money themselves instead of begging us for it. Whoa. Well, it was partly an in-character reaction, because one character in particular, the best developed character was a warforged who was fairly contemptuous of humanity. And this was early on in the game, and unfortunately the game didn't go very far, but one of the things that he was playing around with with was the idea of a warforged who really despised humans who slowly humanized over the course of the game. Okay. Which is fine. But the reaction kind of stunned me because I was like, I, I wasn't expecting it. I wanted to see what they would do with it, but for some reason... I wasn't prepared for that particular response. And so I just sort of, I don't remember exactly, I think I just sort of had them, you know, say, oh, well, sorry to bother you, and go away. I really missed a huge opportunity there, I think. But I, I think in high fantasy games, it's a cool plot hook to offer somebody. Hey, yes, death is kind of a big deal, guys, and we can help someone back from that. Right. But who? <laughs> Imagine an organized charity that goes out and tries to find people who are worth raising from the dead within that time limit. Right. Or one that didn't discriminate at all and just based it on first come, first serve or, you know, who they found or... Sure. Yeah, there's that. I mean, it'd be like a a Kickstarter for resurrection magic. (laughs) Imagine something like that where it's, all right, we know we've got these people on the board, as it were. They died on this day and we've got until this time to bring them back. Can you help us out? Yeah, they would do them in like batches of five or something like that. So people are like, well, I really liked that guy, but I don't know about him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, imagine, it, I mean, it's, it's kind of got a dark twist to it and you can do some yeah. things with it, certainly. But at the same time, if these are all good people who have done a lot of good and they died in some unfortunate accident, what's to stop somebody from saying, you know what, this person is a good person. Let's bring them back and put... Let them do more good in the world. That's a good thing. Yeah. These yeah. these nine paladins of the God of Protection died saving people from a flood. Yeah. You know, they, they held something open so other people could escape and ultimately drowned. Yeah. We want these guys back. <laughs> yeah. Interestingly enough, that's, that's one of the reasons I think people give to charities. I'm always dubious of using altruism as a motive. Uh, maybe I'm just too cynical. But what I have seen is, is people want organizations that help create the kind of world they want to live in. And so if if someone loves animals, like my wife loves dogs, she doesn't want to live in a world in which people um, starve their dogs, beat their dogs, turn in a dog at the very end of its life just to be put down by a, a humane society. And so she cares about those charities. And it isn't purely altruistic, you know, because there's a lot of very, very excellent places to put your time and money. There are many. There are many that are humans and not animals. But on the other hand, this is touches her heart because she loves dogs, and she doesn't want to live in that kind of world. She wants to live in the kind of world in which people reach out and help to alleviate these exact problems so it doesn't happen. And I think a lot of people choose charities based on that. Like, what do you want in your society, your neighborhood, your city? Uh, and, you know, there could be a thousand great charities outside, but when you walk past this certain alley full of homeless men, you might say, but I want to live in a city in which those people get help. There's a soup kitchen and there's some housing for them so that they get some help. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's not purely altruistic. It has to do with what you want your society to be like. 
And that's where you put oh, your sure. time and attention? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, we picked the Bodana group because we want to live in a world where role-playing games aren't stigmatized and are used as a tool to help people. Right. And that's exactly what right. Bodana does, is they use yeah. role-playing games to help kids inv- impacted by sexual trauma. They're helping kids who have suffered some serious problems or have perpetrated serious problems. They want to fix that. And they're using role-playing games, which we think are awesome, and they're in some ways promoting role-playing games, which we also think is a great thing. So, Right. And again, yeah. going back to your example of the fantasy setting, so maybe the player characters have never experienced the desperation of having only two days left, not having enough funds to buy the material components to do the resurrection. So from their viewpoint, like, ah, you know, let the weaklings die. That's not our problem. But then you experience it, or someone that matters to you experiences it or was not able to be brought back, and all of a sudden that becomes an issue that you really care about, that touched you personally, it touched someone you know personally. Yeah. And, and that also happens in real life, but it, it's very adaptable to games to turn around and be a lot less arrogant when someone asks for help, and you realize that that could be you. And maybe that, as much as anything else, having a personal connection to a charity or a need makes it stand out in your mind amongst the sea of possibilities where you could do good, but it's all sort of vague and nebulous and you have no idea what the impact actually is. And yeah, kids in Africa need clothes and shoes and children in Jamaica need schooling and people here in America need you know, need help finding food for the next day. There's all of these problems and we don't know about them unless something happens to say, aha, this is real, it stands out and I remember it. Well, and to go back to your earlier point, Steve, like you were saying how it kind of wrinkles you when people discount money that's given by huge corporations because it's they just do it as a tax write-off. Yes. I think what we're describing here is not so much not doing things out of altruism. It's everybody's altruism is flavored by their life experience. Yeah. Everybody has that, you know, kind of compassionate impulse, I think, except for maybe some sociopaths and stuff mm-hmm. out there. But it's colored by the kinds of suffering that you've seen that seemed the the worst or the most acute to you, or the kinds of good that you've seen done that struck you as the most touching and impactful. And that's right. one of the reasons that charities depend so much on anecdotes and heart-wrenching stories of successes and needs, because that's a way to connect to you. Yeah, and at that point, it's not just a tax write-off. It's, I'm helping these people with this thing in yeah. this way, and I like that. Yeah, I'm helping a person just like this person. Right. And also, I want to point out that we've mostly been talking about charities that have to do with suffering, you know, illnesses, that sort of thing, education, harm. But there are many other types of charities. There are charities that try to protect valuable artifacts. I mean, like um, a library full of first edition books or, or a museum full of artwork that was donated so that it could be preserved and made public in perpetuity. So what are they protecting? I mean, they're protecting part of human culture. Yeah. They're protecting free access to that culture so that it's not locked up in private collections. So the people who donate to those charities are still trying to make the world the way they would like to see it. Sure. Even if it's not directly alleviating human suffering or illness. So there are still worthy charities that protect other th- aspects of society. Yeah. I can give you a cool example of, of that from my childhood, actually. I grew up in a small town called Woodstock um, here in northern Illinois. And Woodstock has a really fantastic library system. It's a town of like 20,000 people. 
it's not a it's not a larger wealthy community, and yet the library is fantastic, mm-hmm. and it's way nicer looking than it, all of the other like slightly larger and same size communities around and stuff. And uh-huh. there are a couple of families that are somewhat wealthy that are local that just give a lot of money to the library. And so this little nowhere town has this really fantastic library system because, like you guys have been saying, somebody decided, I want to live in a world where people have free access to to books. Yes, education and information. Arts foundations are really big for this sort of thing. People want to live in a world where people are exposed to it and they have access to it. It's not just the domain of... The wealthy. Of the wealthy who have time and money to attend concerts or dance performances or exhibitions. They want to make it more accessible. Greenville, where I live, Greenville, South Carolina, it's got a very strong arts community, and you get a lot of things like that. And some of them are private, some of them are, you know, local festivals and things like that. But they all collect donations to make these things happen, because it's doing good in the world. It's not necessarily alleviating suffering, it's improving the human condition. Yeah, improving the quality of life in other ways. Yep. We so often think of, in games, we so often think of charity as being help for charity cases. I think yes. if you present that to players and say, hey, you know, there, there's this guy who wants to put on a series of concerts in the town square, and he would like to have you pay for the musicians or something like that. Is it a good thing? You know, maybe your players decide, you know, we'd rather put that money to feeding the hungry. We'd rather put that money to, you know, this really awesome sword that I've been eyeing in the window. But either way, it makes the players have a choice. Right. I, I think choice is critical. I've heard it phrased like this. A large part of our day, every day, is spent doing things that we have to do. Like, you have to go to work. And, and you may not see the outcome of, of the thing that you make or the thing that your company makes. I mean, it may have very little direct interaction to you or choice. Maybe your company makes decisions you don't particularly like, or they sell a product that you have zero interest in and, and you don't think is very worthy, you know, socially. That's fine. Yeah. But it pays the bills and you take care of your family and your obligations. But a charity is something that you chose. So that's something that you get to choose. You spent your time and your money and your effort that does something about the in the world that you do care about. So the main advantage of participating with a charitable organization of whatever cause is that that's your choice and not a function of your obligation. And right. I think that makes a big difference, the reason why people are willing to spend so much time and effort on these. Um, we go endless. There's always going to be poor. There's always going to be sick. You're never yeah. going to really solve these problems. But that's not the point. The point is that I get to choose that. I chose to spend my time doing this. This means something to me. Instead of just putting a bolt on an engine block or taking phone calls all day for some product that we sell, that's chosen for me. But this one is I chose. Conversely, I think when you introduce a charity into the game, especially a charity that the players start to get directly involved with and start backing, I think you need to make sure that the players do not see this as an investment which is bound to pay off later. Yeah. Although, along those same lines, there is an important form of charity that we haven't covered that I want to get in here. Okay. Excellence-based scholarships. Yeah. This person has done so well that we want to support them because even though they may not strictly need our help, the scholarship that we're giving them is a form of our approval for what they have done already and encouragement to continue 
in the future. Well, yeah, but I think that's saying, you know, we want to have these intelligent people have a chance because that will better the world in some way down the road, right? Right. But I I think that kind of goes in with what you're saying about the investment thing is... Yeah, it does, kind of. But I'm, what I was specifically am talking about is I think it's important that players not see charities as a... Business venture that they're yeah, going to eventually cash out of? Yeah, a business venture of. that they're going to get cash out of or plot out of. Yeah, it's not a vending machine. It's not a yes. vending machine. And this is... I, I've talked about this before. One of the things that annoyed me in Skyrim was the beggar in every town who you could give one gold coin to and get a buff. And it wasn't, hey, I just gave this guy a coin because that's the right thing to do. I gave him a coin, and I got a buff for an hour, called the gift of charity or the blessing of charity or something like that. It was a listed buff on your character. The one in the first big town you get increases your speaking ability, whatever it was called, to the point where I could go to this beggar, give him one coin, and then go to a town store and sell something or, you know, sell a 10 gold item and make my money back because it increased my speaking 10%. And so I got an extra gold out of the deal. It was a good investment. It, yeah. It's an, it is yeah. literally <laughs> cost you one, got you 10. Yeah. yeah. It's literally an investment in something. I, I go and, you know, sell a hundred gold item. Well, I'm getting 10 extra gold off of that. It frustrates me to no end when games have that video games. I think you expect that all of your resources you're going to spend them and get something out of it. But in a game like Skyrim, where it's got this strong story, I would really have loved it if it was just, no, here's a beggar. You can give him a gold coin. He'll thank you. You'll feel you've done well. And I think in role-playing games, that's important. You, you're you doing some good. Like you said, you know, you're, you're investing in changing the world for the better, but it's not a selfish change. It's not, you know, I fully expect to uh, get money back from this. Well, and I mean, you give that beggar the coin and maybe he'll go and, you know, buy some food and he'll be enough more alert where he comes across an opportunity and he can get out of his situation the next day. Or maybe he goes and buys some cheap booze and drinks himself into a stupor and falls down a well and dies and his body poisons the well and that has to be fixed. I mean, it's it could go either way and anywhere on that continuum. Yeah, there certainly should not be an expectation from the players, though, that you are buying favors or progress or more resources down the road. If they are investing in a charity, they should not then turn around and say, listen, we gave you some money. you got to go do this thing for us. Yeah. On the other hand, I have seen stories in which wealthy families compete with their generosity as it's sort of, I don't call it social combat, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to, to establish a social pecking order. So they can't directly fight, obviously, but they'll try to outdo each other with shindigs, you know, big banquets or um, having the, the, the latest singer or the most exotic performer um, in order to raise money and hit up all their wealthy friends. They're still doing good. Like we talked to before, the money's still going to a worthy charity. Um, but a lot of the motivation be- behind it is these extremely elaborate, you know, evenings or events. It's a cold proxy war via charity, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's really what Jesus was talking about in that verse that we read from Matthew 6. Not sounding a trumpet before you as you give alms. Rather, it's keep it so secret that your hands don't know what the other is doing. It's that secret. Right. But you could use this as story fodder. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's Again, let the PCs march into a town in which these three different families are having increasingly more elaborate 
um, balls and galas and dinners and, and theater and the chaos that that creates and all the, the subtext for, you know, whatever other events. Um, right. But I think it would be interesting. It's a less honorable use of charity, but it's, it is common. Yeah, and, and suddenly there's a massive region-wide minstrel shortage because they're yes. all in this town. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, right. it, and it'd be an interesting moral dilemma to present to the players because, you know, it's self-aggrandizing, but also yes. maybe there's actual good coming out of it. But is it enough good? Could that money be, you know, spent directly and get more benefit if people were less interested in showing off how incredibly generous they are? It would be really funny if you had a bunch of kind of roguey PCs that they would try and find ways of like egging these families on and getting them to donate to more efficient charities and that sort of thing. Yeah. In the spirit of competition and just totally like play these three families off of each other because they were right. improving the world through their social one-upmanship. Yeah. And Peter, you know what I'm thinking of now? Hmm. A benefit concert that the band in Shadowrun is invited to play in. This must happen. I know, right? <laughs> uh, Steve, <laughs> be awesome. in the, the Shadowrun game that we're setting up to run, it's kind of a reprise of a failed idea that we had uh, a year or so back. The cover story that we came up with on the first Shadowrun was a absolutely terrible band. Like, none of the Shadowrunners knew how to play instruments, right? <laughs> but what they figure is, if we take a cheap van and we paint some terrible band name on it that's incredibly disgusting and awful, and we look, we dress up as terrible members of a terrible band, and we fill the back with props and musical instrument cases and amps, they're probably not going to dig through the cans and cans of pineapple and party streamers and who knows what else and find the rocket launcher under all that. That's an awesome cover. It's a great cover, and it yeah. gives them an excuse to move around. So this game that we're gearing up to run here... That's the group template. You know, we're starting off with a group of Shadowrunners who use that as their cover. Uh, so it's Peter, my wife, and a friend of ours. So now what happens if this band is invited to a charity benefit concert that's raising money, but they've got a Shadowrun to do, but the benefit's important. What do they do? Right. Stumble their way through it. Right. Find a good excuse not to play. Yeah. Do you find a, a band to cover for you? You know, hey, guys, get on stage. Go, go. But... Wait, that's not them, you know? Yeah, the person on stage is like, but I don't even know which end of the guitar to hold. <laughs> you know, it's specific to this game, obviously, but writ large, this has always been one of the draws of role-playing games, is the opportunity for players to choose between things that are important to them. And, you know, this is just one specific example of that same idea, but if doing good for the, your community or a community is important to your character... Well, that's something that I think a GM should jump on and say, okay, what are you going to do? Something good for you or something good for them? Right. So my wife and I have been watching a series on, I don't know, it's, I think it's Showtime or Stars, called Da Vinci's Demons. Hmm. And it's, I would call it historical fantasy. <laughs> okay. It's tentatively about Leonardo da Vinci, but um, it has a lot of fantasy elements, including like all of his inventions got built and worked. You know, in reality, right. almost none of them ever got built. Um, but anyways... Uh, he works for the Medicis in Florence. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the interesting aspects is, is the very powerful Medici family used art and uh, charitable works as an expression of power. Oh, yeah. And so that they knew that having this fantastic marble statue put in the middle of town or having this fantastic festival put on mm -hmm. um, with alms and food provided free to all the citizens 
good works, good public works, right? Um, but also express to everybody we're that wealthy and powerful. We're so wealthy and powerful that we can do these lavish acts of charity on behalf of the entire city. Oh, yeah. And in that time in particular, you didn't go to a corporation. You went to that family because they were bankers. You went to them for money to do your banking. So it was very, it was advertising in a way. Yes. Specifically for them. But I would love to see that in a fantasy game in which the PCs work for a patron like that. And some of the tasks the patron have isn't going to just be get the kobolds out of these tunnels beneath my field. It'll be, you got to protect this artist I'm, I've hired from a city a thousand miles away. I'm having him brought in specifically because he's the world's greatest bronze sculptor. Right. Uh, or something to that effect. Something where the patron that the PCs work for has interests other than just combat and you know, monster killing. Right. They have interest in charities, events, arts, um, culture, etc. Well, and the other thing that's really nice about this is it gives you a source of conflict that isn't violence-based that your players have to navigate. Yes. Yeah, it's social conflict, as it were. That's right. Yeah. No, that's, that's a lot absolutely of fun. Right. Do you guys have anything else? Just uh, thanks a lot for having me. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, Steve. Yeah, it's our pleasure, Really Steve. surprised by how many story elements and ideas we were able to pull out of this simple idea of organized charity in a game setting and i think it's i already have tons of ideas just from this conversation yeah i got stuff i want to do in future games based on this now yeah i mean i've I've tipped my hand a little bit maybe on the Shadowrun game but that's not going to stop it from being awesome so i'm looking forward to it no if anything you're just building up some anticipation in me (laughs) (laughs) perfect this now there we go well steve thanks again for coming on Uh, i really appreciate it one thing we didn't uh say at the start of the show where can people go to find your podcast they go to postcardsfromthedungeon.com. Or if you don't want to do all the typing, you can just type in pftdcast.com. Um, they both go to the same place, but Postcards from the Dungeon. Okay. And you guys are on iTunes, Stitcher, a couple other places, yep. right? Yep. All the usual places. Yeah. Good. Good. Cool. Well, Steve, thank you again. Next time you see uh, Jeb and Mike, say hey to him for me. Yeah, Absolutely. Please. And we will uh, no doubt catch up with you at a con at some point or uh, maybe on another cross-podcast episode here. I hope so. I certainly hope so, too. Yeah, me too. And from all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good night. Have a good night, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been a production of Saving the Game, copyright 2013. This podcast may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license, provided that credit is given to savingthegamepodcast.org. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. For past episodes, podcast news from our hosts, or to connect with us, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.